Kia ora, I'm Alicia Wilson-Hetty from Te Taumata Tuia EB, Auckland's Regional Arts Trust. You're listening to Creative Capital, a podcast about advocacy and systems change. We're exploring the role that arts, creativity and culture play in Tamaki Makoto, with a focus on the people behind the work and their vision for the future. We hope these conversations are a simple way for us to come together as advocates and artists to navigate 2023 and beyond. Today we're talking with Van May, who is an artist and writer currently based in Te Ika Amawi. They are the current kaitohu of The Pantograph Punch, an online arts and culture platform that's been nourishing writers and audiences for 13 years. Prior to this, they were the director of Enjoy Contemporary Art Space for a stint and have worked, published and exhibited across performing arts, visual arts and publishing for a number of years. They believe in a future where we can see arts and Aotearoa thrive for the benefit of many, not just survive as we are currently. Uh, Kia ora koutou, uh, ko vanaho, my pronouns are they, them, my name is... Van. Uh, I'm the kaitohu of Panograph Punch, which is an online arts and culture journal that's been going on for 13 years now, as well as being a writer and artist. And yeah, just been in the arts forever. Amazing. Thank you, Van. So for context, uh, Van is a friend of mine and I've had the pleasure of knowing you for quite some years now, I think. And I've been following your practice as your friend and fellow artist. And one of the through lines in your practice in Mahi is, and it really does resonate quite deeply with me, is that you have used your art as a vehicle for activism. So I think I kind of just wanted to start there today. I wanted to open up this corridor by asking you, what do you think the role or relationship is between art and activism? Big question. Yeah. Real <laughs> lot, babes, real <laughs> lot. Yeah. Um, the relationship between art and activism. Well, the first thing I'd say is that in order to build a different world from the one that we live in currently, um, that requires radical imagination and creativity. Absolutely. Um, and those are yeah. the things that come about when we practice in the arts and we also um, begin to acknowledge everyone as creative and kind of begin to uh, let them allow them to wield their power in that way. Um, for me, art and activism are closely intertwined. Um, I think a lot of the issues we face in the art sector are actually tied to capitalism and all these other things that activism yeah. is trying to um, move away from. What else could I say? <laughs> I had a thought, but I forgot it. No, that's okay. I mean, how, because, you know, you're, you, you have um, multiple kind of communities that you are embedded in. How have you seen that kind of surface to the top with the different communities that you are a part of. Do you mean in terms of art? Yeah, and, and the activism, I guess, that is like, um, that kind of has risen to the top, I suppose, with those different communities that you are a part of or engage with through your mahi. Totally. Um, well, across the last few years, we've seen the impact, the ongoing, ongoing impact of COVID-19 upon the arts and yeah. what that pandemic era did, even though we're still in it, um, was exacerbate a lot of the problems that the art sector was already facing. 
Um, so a lack of funding, a lack of proper infrastructure, yeah. uh, a lack of ability to get together. And um, I mean, example one, we still don't have a national art strategy, which boggles me. Um, yep. And I think over the last few years, I've seen a number of artists and arts workers stand up or really start galvanizing around the fact that we don't have these things or that things could be a lot better. Um, but I think when you mentioned communities, I thought immediately of the theatre community yeah, who have been petitioning and have been um, creating all kinds of toolkits or advocacy um, programs. I don't know what the word is. Yeah, I guess it would be engagement programs. Yeah, yeah. means of engaging with um, art as activism or activism through art. So Katoka is a really good example in terms of basement theatre and Dignity Money Now and Artists Make Auckland and these different campaigns that are trying to um, get us all to see the value of the arts within our lives and within each other. Yeah. Um, and build that and build that mindset that the arts isn't something that is just a nice to have, but it's really imperative to how we live our lives and how we want to live our lives and build community. I think for many who might not feel engaged with direct frontline activism of like getting out there and getting your t-shirt on, getting a protest or lobbying or these things can that can feel quite far away. Um, the arts has been a really alternative form of activism for many. Yeah. So um, one of the biggest things is storytelling and our writers already know how to do that. Our photographers already know how to tell a story. Our uh, designers already know how to build a compelling narrative. Like we all have these skills that we're um, that we've actually trained in and the more that we access them, um, art really can be that alternative form of activism for so many. And I think what I get excited about in terms of that is that um, there's so many diverse forms of having an opinion and pushing for better. And you don't necessarily need to go out and learn these 30 different skills yeah. um, and do a course in it you already have the tools you have with just a paintbrush and a couple pens. Absolutely. I think there's um, a multitude of entry points of how you can utilise your art or your voice or your positionality to a conversation in ways that feel quite gentle. Because I do think sometimes people feel like, oh, maybe they're not smart enough or they're not informed enough or for whatever reason there feels like there's barriers there. And I feel like the vehicle or the platform of creativity and art is a bit of an equaliser as an entry point to go, oh, actually, I can tell a story and the activism is in the story, which is really beautiful. And just to kind of um, speak to what you picked up on around COVID, I think even though that was an incredibly challenging time, and I really think it was, because our sector is full of world builders with huge imaginations. I think a lot of people got quite excited around, oh, there's like, there is alternative modes and methodologies and modes of doing, and we don't have to do things the exact same way all the time. And if anything, I think COVID was a really great opportunity to go, oh, so you can do that. 
you've just chosen not to. And so I think that was quite um, a bit of an equaliser too of going, oh, hang on a minute. We don't have to do things the way we've always done things. And there is an opportunity here, I guess, in the silver lining of this global pandemic to go, well, what does different look like? And because we had some demonstration, I think, especially in this country from the government at the time of going, how do we be uh, responsive? How do we actually centre people? How do we look after people? What does collective care look like? I think a lot of people, especially in our sector, I feel, got really excited. And then when it went back to like, okay, that was cute, back to normal, whatever normal is, we're post-pandemic, which we're not. I totally agree, Van. We're not post-pandemic. We're post-lockdown at best, I think. Yeah. And so watching people kind of arrive into that thinking has been really interesting and seeing all of the community um, responses to like, well, no, we don't accept that you just have to do this as per there's an opportunity here to have artist-centred responses that go, well, how do you consider this more deeply and how do you respond to that? What does that look like? Um, Dan being a really, really good example of that, of going, well, when you put artists at the centre and you're moving from that point, what does that look like? Totally. Which is exciting, I think. It is exciting. I want a society where everyone's an artist. <laughs> right. <laughs> Or, yeah, we just have villages and villages of artists. It would be so good. Um, something that I picked up on when you were talking, Lise, um, in terms of COVID is um, I think for many people, we've existed under this totalizing force of capitalism and we still do. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're still not post COVID and neither are we post colonial. We're still very much in the colonial capitalism BS. Um, but I think for many people, there was that shift in terms of the government or in terms of having to slow down and reassess what the pace yeah. of their life looked like. Um, that started a journey for many people of saying like, I don't want to go to the office every freaking day. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do want to look after my kids. I do want to have time for these things. Uh, it's sad that we've moved away from there, but I think there is and was a really important moment during those few years um, of slowing down and imagining life and economy and um, all of these wider networks away from profit and away from people being treated as robots that just yeah. like produce output and productivity for the benefit of corporations as opposed to the benefit of their community. Um, and artists, I guess because especially in this country, we are quite, we're a small group now. <laughs> um, artists have always held community in their hearts, maybe that's a generalization, but I think for most of the artists I know, um, it's not just about their independent creative practice, it's about what they do together, what we can do together, what we yeah. can build together. Um, as I really like what my friend Rose Beltan talks about in terms of the art, that art can be a microcosm for how we imagine a different future, a different society to look like. Yeah. All of that stuff we can practice with each other and we can practice within creativity um, 
and by playing around. I couldn't agree more. And it's, uh, yeah, just to respond to some of that sharing, Van, I have had such a privilege this year of being um, a mentor for, that was a part of a cohort with um, a program run through Creative Waikato called Whiria Te Tangata. And it basically was a kind of designed to offer 10 artists um, based in the Waikato uh, UBI um, Gorgeous. to enable them to create uh, or, or do existing work that they were already doing, community-centred, um, community-driven arts projects. And then they were teamed up with a mentor to like walk alongside them throughout the year. And... At the core of that kaupapa, I think, was really how do we create as many opportunities for everybody, regardless of who you are, to have creativity exist in your life and how that totally impacts your well-being. And the breadth of projects that they spoke to was incredible. Like there was a one tane who had been working with um, rangatahi, mostly like young tane. Um, to learn how to produce music and watching the kind of um, the videos that he was sharing of these young brown people arriving in a place of like joy and abundance through creativity I got really teary actually because I was like oh my god like we sleep often on the importance of of our joy Mm. um, the importance of how to create as many different pathways into creativity and not necessarily because you want to be, you know, a practicing artist, but because it has such huge beneficial well-being outcomes for yourself, your community, your whanau, people more broadly. And, you know, it was just so lovely to like listen to all of these 10 artists working with 10 quite polar different communities enabling that kind of creativity in a way that was really accessible, didn't cost anyone anything. They were supported to actually do that work and the kind of value that um, Jeremy at the team in Creative Waikato have given these artists over. We actually value the kind of social work and community Mm. care that you were already doing because a lot of these practitioners were already doing this existing work. And just having that kind of resource to go, we value that. And seeing the shift over a year, I mean, fingers crossed, I really hope that they actually continue to get investment into that program. And it would just be so dreamy if we could have that kind of go across the motu into a lot of different regions. Definitely. Because it's just so needed. Yeah. I want an artist wage so badly because that's going to pave the way for UBI. For everyone. Yeah, right. (laughs) And I think what you're saying, what I was picking up from what you were saying and that investment into artists and investment into creativity is something that I've felt for a long time, which is that um, colonial capitalism has robbed us all of all of play and creativity, particularly adults. It's something that you can kind of access when you're a child. Yeah. And then for some reason, it feels like as soon as you hit 18 – those things are out for you. Yeah. You know, you're not meant to be, you're meant to be working 40 hours a week and then taking care of X, Y, Z. You're not meant to be um, painting 
or reading books or writing, um, I think those things can feel reserved for the few, but actually they are for the many and it's something that has been conditioned out of us yeah. um, to invest in our own joy and creativity and see that as um, as being as radical a feeling as our grief and our rage. Absolutely, I totally agree. I think that's another reason why, you know, during the, that real um, peak of lockdown, seeing people really access creativity from home and you saw people like doing lots of kind of creative activities with their children and their loved ones at home because there wasn't really much else to do. Mm. So I think that's another kind of just reflect my reflection on that was look at the difference it actually makes in people and how that lands in the body. In yeah. a way of like when you're having access to, you know, creativity, regardless of where that is on the spectrum, it actually makes people also feel a lot more connected to their body, which yeah. I think through, you know, all these structures and all of the isms, there's such a huge disconnect for most people from their body and their brain in a way that yeah. you go, are you okay? Yeah. Blink twice. I think. What you're speaking to is that um, art during lockdown and just whenever um, helps us connect us to our body and helps us connect us to our culture and to our creativity. And those are, um, that's a really powerful place to be in if you're connected yeah. to your body, your mind, your culture, your creativity. You do pretty much anything. I just think like the more that we can, um, engage people to have confidence in being creative whether yeah. or not they're a practicing artist or they're just someone that enjoys it as a hobby kate their pie um the more you're going to find people in their power absolutely and i think that also something i've been really considering um over the well for a very long time but i think in a more concentrated way over the last couple of years as i've um connected with different migrant communities outside of my own has been watching how communities, migrant communities specifically, through arts, culture and creativity, that's a connecting point, but it's also about actually retaining culture. And when you're a migrant in a different place and you're not on your whenua, how like the connecting thread line often is through creativity, through your storytelling and that exchange. And I think I have, thinking about our friend Rosa Valtan, thinking about the kind of spaces that Rosa Bell has been fostering and harbouring for our Asian arts community and more broadly Asian community here in Tamaki, has just been such a joy to watch, of watching people connect with one another and go, oh, I'm not alone. Like, there are people here. There's a connection point there through the creativity and like actually getting to have that kind of cultural knowledge yeah. exchange in a way of like reminding you, like even though you might not be on your own whenua, that's the that's the connecting point and how beautiful that is that you can still retain that and share that with each other. Yes, you can still share it with your community and with others. And I drawing off what you were saying, I think that connection point can also be to um can also be helpful between tangata tūriti and tangata whenua where I just love this cultural exchange that can happen that's 
maybe outside of um, that's pushing out the colonial gaze and just being this really beautiful exchange of like, oh, and <laughs> in my country we weave, but it looks like this, and yours looks totally different, but we each carry these generations and generations of creative practice and things that connect us um, not just to ourselves, but to each other. Absolutely, and I think that's been quite interesting, um, listening to the different discourse within our migrant communities around what is art, because I think often in settler colonial states, the idea of art is often through like a very Western lens, and it's quite disconnected because it's a pretty thing often yes. that you put on the wall in most minds. Yeah. Whereas for most communities, including white communities, this is the thing that I always find so interesting, is when you start to unpack that discourse and you go, colonization has hurt you too, because you do have a lineage somewhere. You and have fucker papa. Yeah. You had your own toy. You had your own methodologies. And unfortunately, because it's become this monolith, you've become disconnected from that. But actually, it's so inherent to all of us, whether it's, yeah, whether it's weaving. Yeah. You know, most most people across the globe have some sort of weaving practice or whether it's some sort of music or singing or storytelling. You'll find that that is the thread for everybody, that there has been that kind of orator history that I think we've lost. And, well, not all of us, but, you know, there has definitely been a reclamation of that. And I think it's so important that we continue that journey with each other of going, what what was that and how, how do we reclaim that now? And, like, where are those connecting points? Because it's so inherent to who we are as human beings, not just as arts practitioners, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> Totally agree. That was just a thought I wanted to share. <laughs> um, so why do you think why do you think art matters in social movements? Oh, let me think. I think art matters in social movements for everything that we have literally just talked about in terms of um in many different cultures, but I'm going to situate this in the Pacific because we are in the Pacific right now. Um, for example, many cultures across Timono Noyakiwa have been oral storytelling for generations and yeah. upon generations. Um, and that is a form of power and that is also a form of art. Um, I think the more that we can see our art and our activism as interconnected, the stronger we're going to get. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also, th I do think social movements consider their audience, but there's something about art that is meant to be compelling. It's meant to grip you yeah. by the heart. And I think a lot of the things that social movements are trying to do are trying to change people's hearts or trying to shift them into a different understanding of the world, um, a different understanding of who they are and where they've come from and the generations before them. And I truly believe we're going to need to imagine new solutions, radical solutions, yeah. in different worlds to the one we're in, because the one we're in is so dire. <laughs> can I swear? No, you can absolutely okay. swear. And I totally, I totally agree, Van, and I think this is something that, um, you know, as queer siblings, I think I've reflected on this so much in queer spaces, how 
fundamentally in our the marrow of our bones as queer people. I think we really understand that. Yes. That imagining your life differently than the life that you have been told you should have is so powerful. Yes. I saw a TikTok. I don't know who to credit. I saw a TikTok that was basically saying what you're saying, where they were like, queerness is always going to be a threat to dominant society or the majority because queerness is a deviation from the norm and they don't want us to be deviating from the norm. Artists are also deviating from the norm by not having their nine to five job and by really investing their life and their blood into movement, choreography, music, dance, things that will um, comfort people and also agitate them. Um, All of these things that capitalism is trying to tell us is not important and trying to starve us of funding um but is is so important and is especially because it's pushing against the norm of who we are and what our lives are meant to look like which is being stuck behind a desk for 40 hours or being stuck I don't know juggling multiple jobs and um in an increasingly tight economy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I have a bit of a provocation that I want to put on the table, but I just want to start off by saying, because I think I've been struggling with this a little bit around this idea of leadership. And I think you demonstrate and embody a version of leadership. Ooh, I feel some type of way around the word leadership. At I the know. Moment. <laughs> Because I don't think it's something that you do necessarily. I think it's something you demonstrate and show. And I don't think that leaders (laughs) necessarily are the ones that label themselves leaders. I think it's usually other people that go, oh, you're a leader. So, you know, do that thing. Go be a leader. Yeah, I don't know how I feel. Like I feel like I'm kind of having a little bit of reconciliation at the moment with that language. It doesn't really sit well with me. But thinking about that, Van, um, I just wanted to shift the conversation slightly. And, you know, as a response to the genocide that we're currently um, bearing witness to in Palestine, two letters are currently circulating in the local creative ecosystem, one being led by Artists for Ceasefire, which Pantograph Punch have helped circulate and support and has had over a thousand practitioners signed from across the country. And I think the Sinees truly represent such an incredible kind of intersectional snapshot across race, religion, class, art forms and regions. And this letter has been obviously speaking directly to government. The second letter, which has also been driven by artists, is asking for our cultural institutions and arts organisations to also ask for a much needed ceasefire. I think the deafening silence from the people in our creative cultural sector has, um, who wield a lot of power, has been incredibly disappointing. And in, you know, in the context, I guess, of um, the buzzword of, of decolonization and that as a framework, which for some of these organisations and institutions, they've got that embedded into strategy, policy, et cetera. And we're witnessing this like colonial project in real time and yet there's been no response from these organisations. So this like cognitive dissonance is like kind of wild to watch and look at. Um, 
where do, like who do you think how do I want to ask this why do you think there has been such silence and what response as a practitioner and someone who is in uh service because I don't yeah we're not going to say leadership and a role of service to our community what would you like to say I'd like to see every arts and culture institution in Aotearoa stand up and demand liberation for Palestine yeah full stop (laughs) that's what I'd like to see um as you mentioned that isn't something that has happened so far though I'm feeling confident that there will be a push and that there will be more people um joining that cause. You've kind of spoken to why you think we've seen silence there. And yeah, I guess thinking about that, what do you think the response should be? Because I just, for me personally as a practitioner and someone who's been in service of our um, creative ecosystem, ecology, community, whatever language we want to use for a really long time, I kind of just call bullshit that it's like how can we have these conversations around decolonization and the role of that as a creative ecosystem and then not address that we're watching a colonial project in real time yeah and, and you like to use and you're decol. not doing anything yeah <laughs> it's like, a mind fuck <laughs> yeah it really is I'm yes. like oh that's I'm not surprised but it's still deeply disappointed yeah something I guess I can speak to is that um like when we talk about the art sector it's or we talk about the glam sector that's galleries libraries archives and museums they're so wide-ranging and so wide-reaching um and I think that myself at Panagraph had like we had a lot fewer hoops to get through in terms of signing off whatever we wanted yeah. Because we work in a high trust environment and because we're, we're fairly small and fairly resourced, fairly sm- and we're less resourced um, than other institutions where, because we live under colonial capitalism, this is my theory, um, there's more funders and stakeholders to like get the message passed. And I think yeah. people have been really afraid of saying the wrong thing or pissing off the wrong person or. Yeah. Um, not getting that clear consensus and so they've kind of been holding back and holding back their voice which is really sad because that is the thing we need right now and that um, I would expect of arts and cultural institutions and I would also expect of media is that um, your role isn't to talk about it 50-50 or to say oh both sides your role is to examine what's going on and like see which side is right not to be not to be black and white about it but like your role is to investigate and your role is to come to those moral conclusions and the main moral conclusion is free palestine um it is it's so disappointing (laughs) it is but i kind of i don't know i'm like did i expect any more I was really yeah. sad about Auckland Museum for a hot minute, but then yeah. also museums, as they're, you know, are full of stolen items. Yeah, and they're in an interesting space. They're eh? in an interesting space right now between shifting away f- from being founded as like a colonial project and t- and in terms of deciding and gatekeeping which knowledge is worthy um, 
and moving into these future focused space of like what a museum's going to do now and how a museum's going to support decolonization. Yeah, absolutely. But I really agree with you in terms of um the mission statements in terms of how can you say that you support marginalized communities or POC artists or indigenous yeah. XYZ and then not connect um that desire and that support toward Palestine because those are indigenous people and they are experiencing a colonial project that has a deep similarity to what has happened in Aotearoa in terms of their lands being stolen, in terms of their culture being systemically and intentionally erased. Yeah. If you're trying to support that in this country, we are so tied up in in terms of Palestine's liberation, in terms of the liberation of all of these oppressed countries that have settler colonial governments. Yeah, Our liberation yeah. is so tied up. <laughs> oh, I couldn't I agree. don't understand. I couldn't <laughs> agree more then. And I think, I suppose, something that I think I've been, well, not grappling with, but just settling in my own thinking is that it's, I think, oh, it's so bad because you should just be like, humanity's humanity, so we should just be able to see that. But I think for people who have, um, you know, a marginalised lived experience, it's really a lot clearer, I think, that we have a, a fundamental understanding that my liberation is, is entwined with your liberation and no one is free until we're all free because it's all connected. There's no disconnect, mm. really. Mm. And so I think being able to remind people of this isn't this isn't that complicated. Yes. It's it, really yeah. not. I know. You know? I don't have the answer apart from that I really think people should be signing those letters and that um, – Artists as a block and as independent voices, like we we can push those institutions. We can have those people power. Those institutions depend on us. Um, and we can be a, the annoying mosquito in their ears saying, you have to do this or we'll, <laughs> or you're cancelled or we'll drop you. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm hopeful in that way in terms of people galvanizing and realizing their power and using it to push people in the right direction, no matter how slow it takes. Um, that being said, not to single them out particularly, but Auckland Art Gallery showing, um, like a really cool show about, um, First Nations Australian artists and they're not posting anything about Palestine kind of speaks to me to the disconnect that we were talking about where it's like, how can you... And I think that's, I feel like that's why art as activism is so important is because they're not disconnected. We can't be disconnecting that and then putting this in a gallery and saying this is a safe and sanitized version of engaging with um, decolonial politics. Yeah. Like I think the more that we, as you're saying, can connect art and the reason those paintings were made or the will behind them the resistance into the resistance (laughs) the resistance (laughs) of their art everything that artists are trying to resist the more we're going to get somewhere um and the the clearer it is to me where the space of art is going to be in terms of how we want to redesign the future absolutely and I think something else I've been considering deeply and it's and it's not to take away from doing the right thing you should always do the right thing but there is a risk attached, and I often think the people who are more willing to absorb the risk of speaking truth to power and doing the right thing 
are often our independent artists, are often our smaller arts organisations and institutions and more um, smaller media outlets who might not be so intertwined with those, you know, um, stakeholders or whatever that might look like. And it, it, it does bother me, to be honest, because I'm like, well, there are risks attached and it's not to um, be reductive or to take away from the need and the necessity to do the right thing and how powerful that is because, as we've already said, all liberation is connected deeply. But I don't think we really have honest conversations either around like the kinds of risks that are absorbed by independent practitioners to go, there's a cost, there is a cost. What that cost can look like lives on a spectrum too. But like, why should it always be up to this the least resourced people to always put their neck on the line? And if you have resource and power, why are you not more willing to sit in that? Yeah. Um, and do what you your fair share of heavy lifting because you benefit from all of this. Yeah. Totally. Um, I can't quote this either because I forgot who made it, but I saw a TikTok again that was speaking to this idea of safety. Um like yes, there is risk, but actually safety is something that we create. We give and receive by each other as opposed to something that we naturally have. Like communities are meant to keep each other safe. And I think what independent practitioners get innately um, is that their well-being is bound up with us, uh, others, is that safety is something that is created in numbers and with each other um, that I think organisations that have kind of ossified into their structures um, and are for whatever reason needing to be profit driven don't understand they don't understand that if we're all calling for a free Palestine we're going to be so much safer than one singular voice in a room yeah um that if we're all calling for this there's going to be a snowball effect um it's that collective care again isn't it though like I don't think we can afford to be so individual as we continue to like navigate into yeah. the unknown of, you know, I guess all the things that we've experienced over the last few years and I guess the um, cracking open of, you know, being able to get people to understand through um, the COVID response, through the BLM movement globally, through this um, resistance movement and speaking to the value of our Palestinian siblings it's all like the need to actually really have such strong collective care because none of us can do this alone and it's actually vital that we don't um, and the power in numbers. So I want to ask you kind of one more question and then we'll start to wrap this yes. awesome coordinator oh, up. Can I say one thing? Yes, of course. I've given up on these institutions, eh? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm kind of like, if you're not going to join the party... I don't even care about you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not my community. Yeah, like, I, I don't get know, it. I've given up trying to convince people that aren't worth convincing or that are going to... Hmm. It's not that I've given up. It's just like they're not my priority. I get it, Van. I think the reimagining is happening. Yeah, we've got know? work to do. We have got work to do. I can't wait around. And I think we've all existed in one 
imagination for a really long time. And I think... The imagination of white genocidal maniacs. That's true. And I think that that, that there's been a cracking open of going, we're going to reimagine something so much more abundant and beautiful and different. And this is what it looks like. And I think it really requires all of us everywhere to interrogate our own privilege and how we show up in space for each other. So that's just my thought. Um, So Pantograph Pantograph Punch is becoming more and more of a shining light, I think, of the importance of having a media outlet that is really speaking truth to power in a way that is both intellectually and emotionally intelligent. What's your big dream for Pantograph Punch Fan as you continue to voyage into the future? My dream for Panagraph Punch is to continue going into that left-wing media space and to continue seeing the connection between um, the issues that we face as artists or the conversations we're having within the art sector to these wider conversations that are happening societally so that we can really contribute our opinions um, to these wider conversations and then also have them feed back in. Um, I would love for Panagraph to keep going and growing in ways that are sustainable. Um, Unfortunately, at the moment, sustainability within the arts is like a very hard basket. It's so freaking hard to be sustainable. But um, my dream is writers are paid a shit ton of money. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone gets paid their hours. um, And we just keep growing the kinds of the kind of people investment that it requires to keep these movements going um and that panograph stays bold and stays unwavering um i really look to journals like overland journal over in so-called australia um who have also been unrelenting in their position on palestine and have held that power within themselves as a literary journal to say, we know what's right and wrong. We've done our research. We've been publishing on this for years and years. Um, We're not going to change our mind just because of some silly comments. Um, And I look to a lot of literary journals that have closed down over the last few years because in various different countries because of the lack of funding and support for them to continue existing. So Galdem is an example of that. Um, There was a university review that closed recently and Jezebel just closed, which is heartbreaking to me as someone that in my little 15-year-old teenage Tumblr brain was like, oh my God, feminist publishing. (laughs) And I looked at journals that have also continued um, because we need them. I have yeah. had this conversation with a writer, uh, Daniti, where we just keep dreaming about like, oh my gosh, what would a world look like if we had 5,000 literary journals? Imagine if everyone read literary journals. Yeah, Wouldn't the world be so much better? And I'm like, completely, completely. We need space to be reading poetry and engaging in the possibility of writing and, um, and engaging in these creative futures uh, writing is such a powerful way of processing what it is that we are each going through and finding pathways through what we're going through to the other side. Um, I'm rambling, but I hope Panagraph lives forever. And yeah, we kind of keep not giving a shit. 
Yeah, I find that really endearing. Thank you, Van. I just want to um, acknowledge you and all of the beautiful things that you do in service of our communities in the creative ecosystem, but more widely, just across the motto. Aww, and I'm really grateful I got to have this quarter door with you today. So thank you. Thanks, Liz. Thanks so much for listening to Creative Capital, brought to you by Te Taumata Toya Iwi. You can learn more about our mahi at www.tetaumatatoyaiwi.org.nz. Please also get in touch with any feedback or ideas for the series too. Nā mihi nui.